0: and a very warm welcome to everyone. This is the Shuri Network's first
1: podcast, a
0: podcast for everyone. Are you struggling to understand what digital health means? Are you looking to start out, carve
1: out a career or simply intrigued about digital health? Have you ever wondered what the role of a CCIO, a CNIO, a CIO or even a CHCIO is? Are these the only roles in digital health, you have come to the right place. We have an amazing and enviable lineup of guests ready to share their inspirational journeys and provide practical advice. Get ready to be inspired, get
0: ready to be excited, get ready to take that next step into the diverse world of
1: careers in digital health.
0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Shuri Network podcast. I'm Aisha Rahim, and I'm a psychiatrist in the NHS, as well as the clinical lead for digital transformation in my organisation, otherwise known as a CCIO.
2: And I'm Selena Lee, a healthcare account executive at Microsoft. I've got seven years' experience in the health tech industry, um, having worked at Southampton NHS Hospital before moving into the private sector in two large tech companies. Today, we're going to be talking about data
0: science, analytics and all things data generally. Selina, I don't know where you're up to on this, but for me, this is such a key part of my every day to day life and and my job. I'm really interested to see what Ming is going to say from her position, such a senior role within the NHS. Yeah,
2: I'm just really curious to hear from Ming. And I think Big data, data analytics has been a a huge topic over the last few years but I think we're only just scraping the surface and it'll be great to share with a wider audience what data science is all about and how it really has a massive impact on the NHS.
1: So
0: talking about that with us today is Ming Tang who is the Chief Data and Analytics Officer at NHS England.
2: Hi Ming, thank you for joining us today to discuss the topic, what is data science? It's great to have you on the show.
1: Hi Selina, really happy to be here.
2: Thank you. Um, I guess just to start us off today then, could you share a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, sure. I'm Ming Tang, I'm the Chief Data and Analytics Officer for NHS England and Improvement. Um, I guess a bit about my background, I start, I'm a pharmacist by profession Um, worked in operations in manufacturing for GlaxoSmithKline as part of my career, then went into consulting, so spent quite a lot of, probably about 12 years in in consultancy, um, mainly in um, strategy and supply chain projects, but all of those really had quite a strong data information and kind of modelling kind of sense, you know, because at the end of the day, everything's about optimization. So from there, I joined the NHS very much in shared services about business intelligence, um, procurement, commercial kind of aspects. So and since then, joining the NHS, I've kind of started working on more national programmes and which then re- resulted in me getting more and more involved about building out capability for data and analytics um, and hence my current role.
2: Thank you. Uh, It's really interesting to hear how you've come from a pharmacist background through the logistics side and into now the NHS and national programmes. So thank you. Um, I guess it would be really good to, I guess, start off with for our topic. Could you tell us what data science actually means um, to you um, for our listeners?
1: Yeah, sure. So data science, there's a lot of um, myth around it. For me, it's actually the application of mathematics it with combined with the use of computer science and computers and technology, which then allows you to do things like um, explore relationships between numbers. So if you like patterns in numbers, it's a good way of looking at um, correlation, that's the statistical bit about it. You know, so what what actually is causal, what's not causal. But if you're really, um, I think I think data science is really artistic as well. So a lot of it is about visualization. How do you pull out data points to make it make the message really clear? And then if you're really good at storytelling, what we want is more data science that can tell stories because all about insights and application is. What's the narrative around it? What's the story that you're trying to say? How do you pick up a number or a trend or a forecast um, to do that? Then the more complicated stuff is, obviously, you're applying that using machine coding. So it's optional whether you do machine learning, so that's more automated, or application of artificial intelligence, which is basically designing that model and allowing the machine to run away and do its own thing, or actually what we do a lot of, which is um, automated modelling to do forecasting and prediction, because it's really important for business to be able to predict based on past experience, based on structured and unstructured data, what the relationships and patterns are so that you can use that information to forecast the next thing that's going to happen. So during the pandemic, just to give you an example to bring it to life, we created a forward forecasting tool using machine learning on Hospital admissions and utilisation of beds. So to do that, we had to use lots of information that was structured around um, collections of how many people converted from having the disease into admission. That relation, that causal relationship, but there was lots of other relationships like um, who got tested, whether what age you were when you got tested. Positive, rates of positive testing, all of those things create massive data for you to create relationships. And the nice thing about data science is that you can bring that into a model so you can understand it, so the humans can understand it and draw relationships between those things to then use that information to forward forecast. So decoupling some of the myth, I guess, if you're really good at statistics, if you're good at math, if you're good at art... <laughs> you know, it's a good, it's a good career for anybody that's got those things. And you're just interested in numbers and learning.
2: Yeah, so that's really interesting. I've I've always thought of data science as yes, very logical, looking at patterns and how things interlink. But I've never thought of it in the sense of an artistic side or having a storytelling skill. So that's definitely one that People who are considering this career path should think about because it's not as linear as someone like I would have thought. And um, but just um just following up on what you've just said as well, would you mind sharing what structured and unstructured data is?
1: So structured data is where you've basically collected the data that's um according to a template. So you you might know what the metric is. It's is a very assign data so you 've got definitions around the data elements unstructured data might be um, you know, look, scraping data off websites comments it, it's not formulated you have to create the stu- you have to create the structure around it in order to analyze and understand it so part of the art of Big data, as the, as the term is often used, is how do you correlate structured and unstructured data in order to come up with a pattern, in order to interpret and then provide insights from it. So a lot of the th- comments from Twitter, um, you know, we we would, in the past, you would do lots of statistics around. Can you correlate weather patterns with? I don't know, sales of umbrellas, for instance, you know, you know, seven eleven do a really in Japan do a really they have a really good forecasting tool, which is machine learning, which looks at weather patterns and they because seven eleven stores in Japan are quite small, they have quite a small range. So if they can predict when it's gonna rain, they will actually send out bunches of umbrellas to those stores on that day. If it's going to be a hot day, they might do a a range of ices that are different. So how do you actually use that information, which is fairly unstructured or could be structured, in order to derive a business benefit? So the application of data science is really exciting and interesting. You know, you might not understand all the mathematics, and to some extent, the machine will, take over some of that, but the actual art and the interpretation is a really human thing and we will never get away from that. And the telling the story about what does that mean for us is very human.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So it's the application of identifying the different links between the big data and then putting the human element, the human intelligence on top of that. And I love that you shared um, the 7-Eleven example and weather data because for people who might not know you could use that same thinking in a hospital setting so if on a rainy day you might see a lot more people going into A&E because there might be more slips and falls so that's where the application can go through different industries and into the NHS.
0: I'm going to take you back now you mentioned how you started off your career in pharmacy and I'm really curious as to understand how and why you made that leap from a clinical role to a data role and
1: what interaction you had with data in your clinical role as a pharmacist. Um, and I guess a confession I qualified and I never really got into clinical pharmacy Um it's an in- interesting decision, and I, I say it quite often to my kind of mentees. I've never had this really clear career path of where I wanted to be, and I'd, yeah, and, and maybe I'm I'm starting from a quite a safe position. I had lots of opportunities, but sometimes I look back and say, why did I have lots of opportunities? Probably because I was open to it, because I wasn't kind of bound by this is my career path, this is what I'm going to do by the time I'm 40. My goodness, if I'd done that, (laughs) I would have got really depressed. Um, But I think the way I've structured my career is understanding myself, and I think that's really important to understand what your strengths and what your weaknesses are, and being really honest about that and apply that as a strength. So if you understand yourself, you'll know what you're good at, what you enjoy, What you enjoy tends to be what you're better at than what you don't enjoy. Understanding why you don't enjoy something. Is that because it's a competency, a skill thing? Is it a personal preference because of your personality? Is it because actually you've never had the opportunity to see it in the best light? So trying to figure yourself out so that you can navigate. And then what I do is I look at jobs and opportunities as they come along and I, I will score it against what I want to do and what I don't want to do. And if it, you've kind of got to be open. Every job's going to have a proportion of it that will cover things that you don't really enjoy. Let's be honest. There's n- even your perfect job, there's going to be something in there that you, you have to deal with. So you have to accept a certain level of that. But if that the level of stuff you don't enjoy becomes bigger than the things that you do enjoy, that's probably not an opportunity for you and just be honest about it. So that's how I've managed my career. So how did I go in from pharmacy? I started in manufacturing. Klein as a graduate trainee, and I did six months in the NHS as a hospital pharmacist in my pre-reg. Didn't enjoy the hospital pharmacy bit one little bit. I enjoyed the interaction with patients. So I did that through, I did locums, and I did you know, Saturday locums for a long time because I enjoyed that but then I realized I wouldn't want to do that every day it it just didn't it wasn't what made me get out of bed every day (laughs) but the stuff I did in manufacturing I enjoyed I enjoyed the team managing a team I enjoyed the problem solving and I did quite a lot of analytical stuff because I was looking at throughput of the team looking at how we could continuously improve and improve our outputs So that's kind of where the math started coming in. Then I started working on larger projects. And through that, I started using data more and more. I was fairly analytical anyway. So, yeah, application of analytics. And then when I joined Accenture, it was very much working with companies and teams to build out some of the logistics, warehousing, some of the modelling. So you just pick up those skills. And if you've got the frame of reference that you learn then that's how you do it. When I still look up stuff, I still look up what my team are talking about when they talk about technologies because I I don't deal with it every day, but there's no, you know, continuous learning is really important to me. And that's the thing I do enjoy. If, I, if I'm not learning on a job, whatever that job is, then it's probably not the job for me.
0: Thank you. So it's, it's really interesting. You seem to have come full circle, haven't you? Starting in health, moving over to industry and then back into health. Was there anything that prompted that in particular? What what drew you back?
1: Um, after twelve years in consulting and and the, the latter three years, a lot of it was about um, selling outsourcing. I mean, I was a partner. I was I was successful. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't that I wasn't successful in consulting. I didn't really. I wanted to give back. I wasn't it wasn't satisfying a, a need I had. So I had. I didn't really believe in some of the things I was selling. And it's really hard to sell if you don't really believe in it. Not because they're the wrong things. It's just, it just didn't appeal to me. So I wanted to reconsider. I wanted to give back. Um, I met someone who was a chair in the West Midlands who said, you know, we're looking for someone to help us set this up. Your skill set would be really helpful. Come and do it for a couple of years and help us out. And I thought, why not? And that's, that's kind of how I came into the NHS. When I came into the NHS, I realised wow, there's so much good that we could do. (laughs) You know, there's so many things that I could have a a play with, almost. And I always had a, a mental picture of the things I would like the health service to do. And gradually over time, I've kind of... Managed to do bits of that puzzle over the years, and that's why I'm still here because I always think that we're on the cusp of doing something really special. You know, if we use data analytics properly, we could really turn around provision of healthcare, pathways, patient outcomes, inequalities. All those things we can shine a light through data analytics, and that's what's exciting for me. That's why I'm still here.
2: Can you share some of the projects that you did during the pandemic? We were really lucky in,
1: in my team. We had done quite a lot of the groundwork in terms of making sure that we had um, cloud-based computing. We had some master data. We had already a data store that we clated all stuff together. So we had the infrastructure already because we were doing stuff um, to support integrated care systems. So that's the first thing. And if you think about COVID coming along, we had to set something up really quickly We had lots of um, companies that I'm so grateful for, you know, Microsoft, AWS, um, Palantir, Faculty, Google, you name them, we have them all. They all came and gave us resources for free to get things up and running. So together with NHSX, we were able to build together a data store for covid so we were setting off lots of collections of data you know daily sitrep data you know how many people were in hospital how many beds i'm sure lots of people in the audience will remember having to count how many people were in beds and who were who was on ventilators and all those we collected all that information including some of the clinical information about people that actually caught covid and how we were treating them pulled all of that together to then start thinking about we need a situational awareness of what's going on. So bringing all those disparate data sets together, we were able to provide a dashboard that said, actually, here's the, here's what's happening in the world. Here's where little England is. Here's the our, our peak, you know, our, our rate of um, infection, what, which hospital, which area was being impacted the most. And then really marry that with impact on hospital services, you know, PPE, oxygen, beds, where were they really needed? And by exposing that picture so that everyone could see the same information, we were able to actually have mutual aid. So, you know, some hospitals shared their PPE with other hospitals. We had vans going across London because, you know, at at the peak, if you remember, it was terrible we couldn't get the stock we couldn't there was lots of things it was quite traumatic for the teams and the team worked so hard they were working really late in the evening seven days a week just to I'm quite emotional just talking about it because actually people worked so hard and um it was really important to to everyone to to do all those things and What we then started saying, okay, what do we need to do? Step back. What do we need to know? And that's when we started looking at the modelling I described earlier, the early warning system of how can we predict based on the SPI-M modelling, the R number and what we were observing in the health service, how many beds we were going to need, because we had to put support around. I don't know if you remember the Nightingale um, hospitals. We had to do the planning for that. Where do we put them? So all of that stuff was a lot of it was done by my team to support those type of information. We, we, we had the data platform where we exposed all this data. And we had a really good operational process where people came together to look at the data to say, actually, what do we do next? How do we decide to organize ourselves? So data and analytics became almost a galvanizing force for making some of those decisions. Then if you rock back then to we had a bit of a lull, we went, then we were getting up for vaccines. Again, vaccines, the characteristics of the vaccine, we, we were shadowing, watching, is it going to be frozen? Is it going to be, you know, what temperature? Who's going to get it first? What's the age range? What's JCVI going to say, we, you know, the cohorts that we need to have a look at? How do we determine what cohorts go first? How do we select them? How do we tell people gps you know what settings are we going to use Is you know if it's deep frozen we can't really do it in gps we have to have proper facilities freezers that was more likely to be hospital trusts so all of those decisions again we collected all that data put it into a dashboard we drove stock levels tracked people tracked you know we had readiness checklists in the in the data platform where we said actually if you want to be a vaccination site you have to do these things and so systematically we were able to work through so that's the type of work that we did and really it was it was very exciting and very rewarding because in some ways the data analytics teams actually brought some order to the chaos and we were able to galvanize business teams to make decisions yeah, you know, we've never had such a, we had the army working with us to have the rigorous daily rhythm, the weekly rhythm, you know, the you have five minutes to talk about your topic and then <laughs> you have to stop. So that was all all an experience, but actually everything was underpinned by the data.
2: Thank you.
0: Thanks, Ming. I mean, you hear the phrase data saves lives bandied about, but it's hard to think of a more profound and relevant example of that, you know, compared what you just talked about in terms of PPE, for example. So really, really important work. Yeah. One of the things I was interested in that you were talking about a little while ago was around linkage of data sets. And when we talk about healthcare data linkage and I was interested in your thoughts about where we're at to in terms of linking with other data sets, for example, social care data and how that might give us some more profound insights on on the delivery of services for, for our citizens.
1: Yeah. We have to be careful and understanding of where the public perception is. So for management of healthcare, I think, you know, we've done some testing with citizens' juries with the data guardian and it's become very apparent, you know, through some of the work we've done with the data strategy with NHSX, as well, that the public are very reassured by the NHS use of their data and the fact that they expect there's almost an experiential piece about convenience. You know, I don't want to have to tell my details to 10 people just because I've gone from one place to another. So that's well recorded, and that's why we're doing the shared care record piece. For use of data in order to manage a pandemic, people were very supportive. Wider determinants of health. There are some red lines that people go through. You know, share my data so that you can understand inequalities and in access. Fine. Share my data to understand whether the right services are placed in the right place. Fine. Even share my data with DWP so that, you know, I'm a carer for someone at home. I can get access to the vaccine. That's fine. It becomes quite dodgy when you start saying, actually... We want to be able to profile you, you know, work with the police, understand where the critical demographics issues are, but they are the things that we need to sort. You know, that's the challenge. So it's a public narrative about what we do with that data and what level of data do we use in order to do some of that public good. So if we if we are true to population health, we're true to managing inequalities in um, health outcomes, we do need that wider, wider data. But do we need the entirety of the clinical record? No. Do we need to unmask the person? No. But do we need it at person level? Yes. So I think it's really making sure we have the right conversation with the public so that they they understand that we're securing the data, we're not selling the data. That's the other red line, selling my data so that you know, a big farm or a big American company makes lots of money from it, that's not acceptable. The NHS using it to improve services, that's absolutely acceptable. Where the debate and some of the misconstrued and misrepresentation is when you use a big American company to do some of the processing of that data because they've got good platforms, Microsoft, Azure, AWS, whatever it is, Um, You know, we've got Palantir using Foundry at the moment. That seems to be a bit dodgy. But when you explain it to people, what controls you've got in place and how the data doesn't leave the country and is actually secured, and that actually is the NHS people that own that data and the IP that's generated from that, then people are actually reassured. Yeah, I think that
0: sounds really important. We've got to tread that line, haven't we, between exploiting all the data for all the right reasons while still maintaining that public trust.
2: For anyone that's listening who's looking at data science as a potential career path, are there any misconceptions about your work that you'd like to dispel?
1: I'm going to come back to you, Selena, what you said earlier on, it being a very linear career. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's absolutely not. I think, you know, for, for anyone that is interested, curious, yes, you do need to be mathematical. But actually, you know, think about the narrative, think about what you're drawing out from the data. You could go into you know, data science in a pure analytical sense, in an ethical sense, in a, actually, I just want to do visualization. I want to then look at how we tell the story. How do we build out the business case? There's lots and lots of areas that you can go into. So it's quite a fulfilling and broad spectrum. Um, and actually I think anyone that wants a really fulfilling career that's up and coming now, I think it's a really good place to be. Um and it's exciting, you know, the, the, the changes that we're gonna see in the technology, the application of of data science is gonna be key and, and, and therefore I think it's a really exciting I wish I was starting again. It's a really exciting time for data science. Yeah.
2: No, thank you. I guess, um, I guess flipping that question again then is if you were to start afresh, or someone was looking at this, where's a good starting point for someone?
1: I think actually we're we're actually promoting um, um apprentices in data and analytics, actually, and if you're if you're at school doing your A levels, think about some of those schemes because I think. It's an application career, so it's not necessary for you to study this for a number of years before you can apply it. You can learn on the ground. There's lots of um, starting careers. You know, go to the health service. We're, we're doing some recruiting. There are lots of areas where you can actually start. You know, Even at a trust level, the application of data science is going to be really important, be it in health service, in pharma, in lots of organisations that will want that those skills. And don't be afraid to switch and mix and match. You don't always have to do it in health. Health is a great area, but obviously I'm going to say that. But starting application of data science from one industry to another, that's what I learned in consulting, you know, it's not it's not the Content knowledge of a particular industry—it's the application of that content to other industries. That's the most in- interesting bit. You know, being an nth degree, uh, you know, expert in health probably is quite interesting, but how health actually interacts with social care, how health interacts with other things—that's much more exciting, and 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 that allows you to collaborate. So if you're if you're starting and you want to learn a bit more about data science, there's loads of courses on coding and other things online that you can just sign up for for free. You know, we have a massive network of analysts. We've got X in the health service. You know, there's more than 15,000 analysts that just joined up and doing their own thing, sharing code, doing all sorts of things. You know, this is a new way, isn't it? It's, just, it's a social media way of learning. And, you know, because we've all been locked down at home, you know, it's a good way to actually start but do talk to people, go out and ask questions, be curious. That's one of the skills that you're, you're going to need. You're a, you know, a resource investigator in the old Myers-Briggs terms. You, know, you go out and meet people and ask questions. People are interested in that. Something I just a, a question
0: from me then, when we think about equality and diversity, how does that agenda play out in the work that you do and your team does?
1: So I'm very proud that one of the things we've got a big lens on is, you know, looking at equality and diversity in um, how we respond as a health service. For for my team, I've got a very diverse team <laughs> um, because that's, you know, I I believe in diversity. I think it's really important. One of the things I've always learned is to not recruit in my own image. So it's actually blending a team. And there's benefits to that because actually the way I look at it, and it's a bit cheeky really. I know the things I don't like doing. I like I seek out people that enjoy that type of thing because that gives you diversity of skills. And then actually I like healthy debate. So I like to have people bring in different perspectives. And often perspective is where you come from, so how you were brought up. So I come from a very working class background. I'm grounded in the fact that, you know, my parents don't speak much English. So I know that translation services are really rare for Cantonese and the ones I've heard, I can do better myself. So that's, you know, from an access perspective, that's not really great. You know, so actually from an ethnic minority, I think we need more. We need to reflect our communities more to be represented better and actually it's a really good career for, you know, a lot of Asian kids are really good at maths. So data science is a really good home. You know, why, why only do the, you know, the accountancy and the, the doctoring and the solicitors and all those things? You know, data science is a great career. It doesn't mean you, you'll always be a data scientist. One of the things I'm really keen to do is feed a cadre of leaders that have come through this analytical route so that we can get better executives so that they understand what they're reading, they're better users of data analytics. You only do that if you can spread your army of people and make sure they end up in really good policy jobs or other things. So it's a starting point. It's a way of thinking, but also don't think that kind of narrows your career.
0: Thank you. Just following on from what you were saying, it's clear that we've got lots of people from many different ethnic backgrounds that have the skills already to succeed in this field. And yet we're not seeing that translate into those people being represented in these professions. I don't know if you had any thoughts about that.
1: So I think it's routes to entry. We're looking at doing work with schools. Um, I think it's hard. You know, I think some of the outreach programmes that I've seen in the US are going to we're going to have to do more of in the UK. Um, when I worked in consultancy in Australia, we did quite a lot of outreach with schools, um, particularly women in STEM subjects. So I'm doing um, a bit of work for girls in STEM subjects, um, but I think yeah, it's it's actually quite tough, and also is giving people the opportunity to test out some of these careers and actually having a go so placements i think is really important apprenticeships is really important Um, and working with universities and and colleges yeah but it's a fairly new market isn't it so i mean we shouldn't be so hard on ourselves you know and and digital careers that's even bigger isn't it if you if you look at it in the round There are lots and lots of jobs in digital that I think, you know, if we want to have better tailored services that reflect the diversity, we need to have more people coming in with those diverse backgrounds to design it in a way that the services resonate. You know, the the whole process of designing products against customer requirements, you can't do that if you don't have a diverse workforce.
2: So thank you for your time on the show, Ming. I just wanted to wrap up with asking you, um, is there anything that you want to add?
1: Yeah, so I would say to the audience that are listening to this who are thinking about a career in data science, why not? Why wouldn't you want to do it? You know, there is a real interesting um, variety of careers that you can have, interesting, um, rewarding work as well as really intellectual work. So why not? Why wouldn't you give it a go? You can use your artistic talents, you can use your mathematical talents, you can use your curiosity, so why not?
2: Aisha, that was a fantastic episode. I loved hearing about Ming's experience and actually a couple of the things that I really took away from that was (laughs) <laughs> and data science is not just about numbers not mm. just about patterns but actually looking at the narrative and how you can uh, draw a story behind it and help drive decision making secondly um i loved that she mentioned during the pandemic that they brought order to the chaos yeah um there's information that's everywhere information coming in from all the trusts all not standardised to the same format and actually it's up to the data scientists to make that information logical so that the leaders could make sense of it and make the best decisions Um, and that was crucial during the pandemic and going forwards
0: Absolutely. I mean, just hearing her story about the work that she and her team were doing that really affected the well-being of patients and the well-being of clinicians on the ground through the pandemic. Yeah, I, I felt really emotional hearing that as well. Really, really impressive Um stories there and I think the other thing that occurred to me it's been such a recurrent theme through so many of the people that we've spoken to is about that non-linear career pathway as well and how there isn't just one route to to getting to to these positions of responsibility there are lots of different meandering ways that you can go and I I was also struck by her talking about those examples from other sectors and using those uh, data insights to inform what we do in the ground in 7-Eleven and, and those commercial environments as well. And, you know, I think you, would, you were bring up and how we can use similar insights in the healthcare sector as well. So really interesting cross linkages from that perspective.
2: If you want to know more about data science roles um, and other related jobs, do check out the NHS job site Alternatively, if you want to know more about data science specifically, um, the AnalystX Twitter and online community that was mentioned by Ming will be linked into the show notes.
0: Thank you for listening today. We really hope you enjoyed the episode. So please subscribe and share the episode with other people. And if you want to know more about the Shuri Network or you want to feedback or even suggest topics for future episodes, visit shurinetwork.com. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Network Shuri, where you can find out more about what we're doing. See you
2: next, See you next time. <laughs>